With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the latest Mount West Wire podcast. Um, those who don't know, we'll just say it. Take two. I will blame myself. Colorado State preview. got. Um, I never saved it on my end. That's Jeremy Moss, and I'm hoping my mic works well because last week it did not in football, but MWCWire.com, MWWire, blah, 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 Facebook, Twitter. I probably shouldn't say blah, 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 right, Eli? I should actually maybe say what, what we're doing here. <laughs> well, I mean, if you go out of your way to find our stuff, you probably can find it. So, Yeah, Mount West Wire, like I said, MWCWire, Twitter. We're talking about the Rams. We were going alphabetical order. That, and that could still be the case because – We've only posted two at the moment, so maybe I shouldn't have said take two, but whatever. Now that we've waited a little bit because of my mishap here, we could talk a little bit about media day, at least pertaining to the Rams, the uh, million, not million, but the handful of secret scrimmage type stuff going on or what are the charity games that we have. But uh, Rams, let's talk about Colorado State. So what we know about the Rams, let's talk about the uh, Mountain West uh, media poll that came out last week. They were not predicted to finish first. We can say that for sure. I should have had that in front of me. They were um crap. What were they? What were they? Finished? I have it. I have it right in front of me. <laughs> I uh, thought I had the page. I had to restart my Chrome. Where are they finish again this year? They have them slotted uh, sixteen votes ahead of UNLV in the number five position, and that was kind of surprising to me because I thought they would probably be sixth or seventh. Just about all the other magazine publications have them anywhere between six, seven. I think maybe one or two of them had them in eighth. But uh, I guess there's some respect given to Eustachian and his group, and they have him in fifth right now. I thought that was about right. And we've mentioned, if you hear all of our other shows, basically I think we have all feel three through seven is kind of a toss-up. It could be any of those teams. You it got... is, yeah, it is pretty wide open. I mean, And we've we've mentioned in, on prior podcasts that the, the seventh-place team in this league this season probably won't seem like a seventh-place team just because that whole middle section of the Mountain West is, is fairly deep. And the bottom half isn't that bad either. And uh, look at Utah State. Like, they had that sort of scrimmage the other day. They had a couple of guys step up besides Kobe McElwain, so maybe them finishing eighth might be a, a stretch as well. But the Rams, they, they're they coming off another big season from Eustachie, who we put number three in our in your coaching rankings in the offseason behind Leon Rice and Eric Musselman. Yes, that, that's correct. Mm-hmm. I think that's about right, what he's done with the – what did he have, like a six-man rotation last year? Yeah, like six or seven. Mm-hmm. And he nearly beat the uh, beat Nevada to get the regular season conference title, but it was not to be. No, it wasn't, but it's, I mean, it's still impressive where that team came from because they started off fairly slow. Uh, they were 9-6 and six through their first 15 games after Chandler Hutchison beat them on a game-winning shot. I think that was the first or second game of conference play. And after that, Gene Clavel came back from his suspension, and he he was banged up the prior season. And they really took off from there just with the leadership of Clavel and Amogbo and Prentice Nixon chipped in. And they like like you said, they're just a few points away from winning that conference tournament game against Nevada that would have sent them to the NCAA tournament. So it was an impressive season for CSU. Yeah, it was. Because nobody – I don't remember what they had them last year, but they were, they were supposed to be okay. But then we heard about those three guys going off um, was academic issues, the three scholarship players. Not that they played a lot, 
but they were removed from the team. So you, they're down to very, there's always the jokes or match today. They have X amount of scholarship players, which was basically like nothing, but they still played well. And if they adding depth this year, yeah, they lose Clavel and other couple players. They should still be like, I don't know. Maybe I thought it was a bit low, but if you have one of the better coaches in the conference, like you mentioned, he's, uh, he's number three. He's better than probably Menzies at the moment. He's better than obviously um, Tim Dury at Utah state. Um, I don't know, maybe not Wyoming. It's close to Wyoming Tech coach was uh, Alan Edwards. Uh, but still, it's like if you have a good coach who's been there, he's going to find a way to win. And let's just hope he stopped kind of doing what he was alleged to do about the not being too nice because that, that's always an issue. And that could come back to get him if he continues doing that. Right. That that did come up last season, I think, in January. And then the academics, maybe, maybe a week or two later, they had three former JUCO guys that were suspended for the remaining season. Two of those guys come back this season – Devocio Butler is the only one that doesn't. He transferred to Texas Southern over the summer. Um, the big losses, obviously, are Gene Clavel and Emmanuel Mogbo. Those two combined for about 34 points and 17 rebounds last season. So that's a huge chunk of your nightly production that they have to make up for. And they do have some nice incoming talent and a couple Juco guys. I think Deion James is going to likely start at the power forward position. So He'll be ready to go, and he'll be alongside Nico Carvacho, who was a freshman center last year, and he's really expected to improve this this year as well. So is there a player on this team? Like, we see the all-conference team. There's not a CSU Rams player on there, and I'm looking at, like, a different magazines. They're not in the first or second team player. Is this team going to have, like, a one player who's going to be the guy? Like, with Eugene Clavel, Clavel last year? Or is there going to be a bunch of guys like, okay, this guy has 12 points tonight or eight rebounds or player A, B, or C, a rotating guy of players who could be the best on the team on a given night? I think that Prentice Nixon will probably carry the load on offense, and he's probably the X-factor as well because he is the leading returning scorer for CSU at 13.2 points per game, but he hasn't been very efficient. He shot 38% from the field last year, which is definitely below average. If he can increase that while he also sees his usage uh, increase, that would be huge for the Rams because... Like you said, they need a go-to score. Clavel had number of 20, 25-point games last season, and they really don't have that option this year. You can expect the offense to be a bit more balanced, and they'll play more than six or seven guys, which will also help you, Stacey. But uh, it's it's always nice to have a go-to score because most other teams in this conference do have a guy they can lean on for 15, 16, 17 points a night. Yeah, McElwain, Justin James, Jordan Caroline, or somebody else from Nevada, Hutchison. Because that, that could be it could be a positive or, or negative because if there's a team where, like, you don't have a guy who goes off for 25 points a game or whatever. Like, last year, yes, Clayville, they stopped, they guarded him. Or you had to stop him, he'd probably be okay. But if you have three guys who score 12 points a game or four guys who could score 12 points a game, typically it means one of those guys either is going to have, like, six or seven points a game or maybe 18 to 20. And so it, it's like pick your poison a little bit. If you have four guys who are not elite but are pretty good, that could be harder than having one guy who goes off for 25 points every night or maybe not 25, but 20. So it depends how you look at it. Like what's your philosophy? Okay. We have four guys who's any, any of those guys can be last second shot guy. Who's going to bring the ball up the court or be that guy who's who they're looking to for buckets compared to one guy where they can just double or triple him or do whatever to zone or scheme around to one guy. What do you, do you think there's a better philosophy? I get it. If you want the best player, you're probably going to be better. But if you have, three to four guys score about 10 to 12 points a game that well, where do you fall on that? What do you think is a better situation for maybe this team or any team really? I I really don't know if there's a better way. Obviously it's nice when you can count on one guy to score 
three straight buckets down the stretch, and that was essentially what Gene Clavel was for this team last season. And what he did in the Mountain West tournament was just remarkable. I think he had 30, 35 points in the tournament final against Nevada. And that's just, it's not going to happen this season with Prentice Nixon or J.D. Page. Those guys will definitely score in double figures. I would imagine maybe Shea Bob can join them as well. But you're not going to have a player that's just going to take over and fire up shots. So, I mean, Larry Eustachie can make that work if he wants to. It, it, he needs more balance offensively because you don't really want to rely on a guy like Prentice Nixon to take over, so to speak, because he really isn't that efficient as guys like Gene Clavel or Emmanuel Mogwa were last year. So if you can end up with three or four guys maybe in double figures, that would probably be good for CSU. And if this team wants to rely on balance more, I think that would benefit them. So what do you think with this team? Like, I think you're right. Balance, like, they still have one guy, but you still don't want him to – you don't want to have a, um Eli Brown situation, right, where he goes no, 10, no. 10, for, 10 for 25. Eight for thirty. Allen Iverson, whatever. Yeah, you don't don't definitely don't want that. The chucker, as you call it, but takes too many <laughs> shots. So with this team, if they're going to do go this route where they they have a guy like you said that Preston Nixon who could lead the way or should lead the way, what are they going to really change what they do offensively? Would they want to? Because I don't know what their efficiency rating or per hundred possessions were, but my thing is if you're having a guy a team where it's um kind of in that range where you don't have a go to guy. You'd want to maybe not necessarily slow it down, but be more um, picky or choosy with your shots. Yeah, I I think that could be the case. In last season, CSU really slowed it down. They ranked 251st in tempo. (laughs) Trying to yeah, I'm trying to find out what. Okay, recent years they've gone 251, 165, 64, 161, and 210. So they really aren't a fast pace up tempo team under Eustachie. And they've played solid team defense the last few years, too. So they like to muck it up. If they can win in the 60s or low 70s, and that usually benefits them. And last year, their effective vehicle percentage was only 266 in the country. But because they did a, such a good job holding on to the ball, the turnover percentage was low. And they had guys like Amagbo and um, Nico Carvacho crashing the boards and getting offensive rebounds. If If you can just rely on more possessions and win the possession game, then you get more looks at the basket and that will translate into more points, which would definitely help out the Rams. Yeah, looking at tempo, when you go to just an offense over at Kempom, they're a top 100 team in 99. So you can still have a slower pace, but still be very efficient offensively. Definitely. But if you want to be a better team, a top 100, you want to be better than that, right? Because top 100 is what, top third? I guess it's okay in college hoops, but you'd rather be... Cause like looking at who's the most um, adjusted for tempo... Here's an interesting one here, really quick. That's way off base, but uh, you probably have it in front of you. But adjusted tempo, it's Savannah State. Do you want yeah. to know their, mm-hmm. their, their adjusted offense was 248? So you can go as fast as you want. You can still have success in doing that. Like a couple teams last, like BYU was okay last year. Um, who else is on there? Auburn, St. John's, top 100 teams there that were very good tempo, but adjusted offense were just okay. Yeah, and that's kind of what we mentioned with Air Force on on our first show, is that something that they can do to benefit their offense is push the ball because they don't really have a ton of height or skill or talent necessarily. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, they they really don't they don't have any three star recruits on their teams. They have guys that will, I mean, get into the Air Force once they're done with their time in uh, Colorado. So, 
for them, if they could speed things up, make the game a little bit more hectic, then that would probably benefit them. But for Colorado State's case, they can probably win these one-on-one matchups just based on their their overall size. So if they want to only play maybe 65, 66, 67 possessions a game, that would probably help them out. So really quick, who do they have got? I'm trying to think of the transfers. I should look it up. Are there any key transfers coming in, coming in at all? Uh, they have two guys that are going to sit out this season, but in terms of JUCOs, Deion James is their is their key addition. He was in the JUCO top 100. I'm not exactly sure what his ranking was, but he was named the JUCO or D2 player of the year last season. So he's a major addition for CSU. He'll definitely be their their biggest impact player that's coming in, and he'll start at the power forward spot. You could probably peg him somewhere around 10 points per game, I'd imagine. Is Chris Martin eligible? He's not. Mm-mm. Okay, that's what I thought. Because I'm looking at the roster, like it's kind of odd. They list players. He's coming in from Oral, Oral Roberts. They list players. I figured they'd stick eligible players on the list. I was like, wait a minute, part of school. Okay, they're so they're not like Nevada or New Mexico or even UNLV last year, where they need to either rely or use that aspect to get players in. So let's go to schedule really quick, um, just because it's schedule time. As as we've said all year long, every podcast will say non-covered schedule stinks. So before we get to that, we mentioned I'm going to write an article on this probably because we have media days that just wrapped up. We can kind of spread out the hoops content from there. Are you in favor or or against like a potential 20 game conference schedule? Because right now they're at 18 and it's an imbalanced slate. Would that for first question? Do you like 20 games better? And second part, would that really help or hurt like the uh, overall SOS? Is this just in general, or are you, are you speaking of if the Mountain West were to implement it? Kind of the Mountain West, because you've seen the Big Ten and other teams or schools are doing as well. But with the Big Ten, if you go 20 games, it's unbalanced no matter what with their 14 teams they have. But Mountain West, if you have 11 teams and you go 20 games, that's you play everybody twice. I haven't really explored it that much, but I definitely understand both sides of the spectrum. I know that in the Pac-12, you've got Arizona, USC, UCLA, uh those are the top three teams I'm off the top of my head in the Pac-12 this year. And I think Arizona doesn't have to go to either USC or UCLA. And that caused a lot of uproar in, in scheduling balance because, I mean, that would be really big for both USC and UCLA if they're trying to pick up a game on Arizona. But in terms of 20-game schedule for conference slate, I don't, I don't know. That's I mean, it cuts into what your overall schedule looks like. And that could really limit your non-conference schedule if these power conference teams only want to play cupcakes in November and December. So that could be a significant impact on how many quality games the mid-major teams can pick up. So I don't know. I think I'm probably against it, but I probably want to make some make some research on it first before I make any general assumptions, but... I don't think it helps out mid-majors or low-majors because that cuts into the number of quality games these teams can have. I, I see both ways. Like The schools that are probably against or I know are against are San Diego State, UNLV, and New Mexico because they can actually get good teams to even come to their home place to play home arena or Vegas can play some tournament or T-Mobile like with Duke last year. So those schools wouldn't want to do it, but if you're like if you, if they want, if they really want the SOS to be better, Air Force getting an extra game versus even San Jose State and Utah State is better than playing those non-D school or sub-300 teams. So, like, playing, like, really quick, Arkansas, or excuse me, uh, Colorado State plays Arkansas Fort Smith. Are they a Division One team? I don't know. Who are they? No. Nope. 
And so, like, it could here tell a couple of things. It could go both ways. Okay, get rid of those games, or they continue those games instead of trying to get a like Oregon or Arkansas, or Colorado on the schedule. It it it's a tricky situation. I do like the home and home where you can play everybody twice, but the league's expanding. I it's I can see why teams would be against it or for like Air, like even Air Force. Why would they want to maybe take on two more losses when they could play these uh, Fort Lewis teams or Coastal, not Coastal Carolina, they're decent, but teams like non-D1 schools. And and to be fair, this CSU schedule is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's probably top two. It might be the best in the Mountain West this season. But I think adding on another two or four conference games that can really limit what the other programs can schedule. And like we've been saying the last two, three years, and maybe even longer than that, Mountain West needs to pick up quality games on the non-conference schedule or they just won't get selected for the NCAA tournament. Because if we look up in Selection Sunday like we usually do and Mountain West's team that's in contention only has one game against a top 50 team and they lost, well, chances are that team won't be getting into the NCAA tournament. And that in itself costs the conference a pretty significant amount of money. So, uh, I mean, we can we can harp on scheduling stuff for hours and hours, but... It's got to improve for this conference, or it will continue to nosedive into the mid-major levels. Yeah, it's we'll see. I, I, you're right. This schedule good for CSU is nice, but doing two for ones and stuff. People want home games, and they want to play good teams at home. It's tough. So, may there's got to be a way. Like, I think it was Wyoming got like Oregon State and South Carolina. I want to say in the upcoming years, but they could do two for ones, and if they schedule properly, can load the schedule the right way where you're still getting the same amount of home games where you're still playing those teams. Just because you get two for one doesn't mean you lose on a, doesn't mean you automatically lose on a home game. You know sure. what I mean? Like yeah. you can you can flip your schedule to say, yeah, one year might be better than the other, another year, but if you have the years laid out in front of you, say a decade's worth of years and you have two for ones, rotate them out where you have the ones a certain year and the twos another year as much as possible. Just because you do do two for ones doesn't mean you're gonna miss out on an extra home game down the road. But I don't know. I, I think that's a fair point because I, when I made the argument, like, well, you lose home games. Like, well, do you really? Yeah, yeah it's just a good argument. I because had, what if you do uh, a one and done? Like, what if you do a one and yeah. done three years in a row? You guarantee there's no home game no matter what. It's like there's no way True. to fix that. So, Yeah, I I had um, a college student ask me a few, few days ago after I wrote that article on uh, Athletic Director U about those transfers over the summer. Mm-hmm. And he just wanted to ask me a few questions about it, so I'm willing to answer whatever he has to ask. And one of the questions was, um, what would you do to improve college basketball? And that's a very broad question. You can go a number of different angles with that. But I think that an overall reform of how schedules are constructed would be very beneficial to college basketball. And one thing that immediately popped into my head was how NFL schedules are made, and I don't know if you know how those are made, but it's mm-hmm. basically a rotational basis between conferences. So, like, your Houston Texans, if they finish first, they'll play the AFC North's number one team, they'll play AFC East number one team, and they'll play AFC West number one team, in addition to the other conferences that they're aligned with for that season. So, if college basketball were able to agree and I have no idea if they would be able to though it could generate some revenue if they were to agree on a number of these types of ACC Big Ten or Mountain West Missouri Valley challenges every year say the Mountain West has three or four conferences they're connected with every season and the number one Mountain West team plays the number one 
Big West team and they have a number of those types of schedules, I think that would probably help out the overall uh, strength of non-conference games for most conferences. I have no idea if that would be able to be agreed upon, but I think it would be a generally fair way for most teams to play quality non-conference games in November and December. And it would be easier, too, because you know how, tough, how difficult it is to schedule college basketball games? Very difficult. You got, what, 15 or – I'd say, what, 15 non-conference games typically, 10 to 15, somewhere yeah, in that range? Yeah, it's, it's usually about 10 to 13. And and there are still about 10 programs that haven't even released their schedules, and we're, not, we're under three <laughs> weeks until the season starts. Yeah, but, yeah, that's a good point. NFL, what they do, you're right. I think it's – yeah, if you win your division, you play a – for a similar first place team, but you're also set a set, set like you said, set AFC West, NFC West, AFC North, NFC South, or whatever every year. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that'd work, but that could. There's too I don't know. There's too many conferences. That would be forever to go through and rotate to get enough home games back because you want to. You still want balance. Mm-hmm. But your point is valid. Like so let's just say it's instead of do, instead of doing the divisional format, we'll get to Ram stuff. But this is interesting. Bring it up. It's always a we'll we'll do these little mini off topics in between each show probably, <laughs> but <clears throat> excuse me, but you're right. Maybe they take first place out of conference. Say you get 15 conferences on board, or 16 conferences on board, and you go one through whatever and play those teams. That could be, even if it's just say not the entire schedule, but it's not necessarily still like a challenge. But if you do say four conferences agree, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the SoCon, the MEAC, the MAC. Um, like I said, Big West, West Coast, maybe West Coast Conference would want to play to help out their team schedule. Okay, it won't help if you're 12 versus 12. What's that going to do for you? It may not do much, but, you know, it's better, still better than playing a D2 school or something. Yeah, Just, well, in the counter-argument to that, it could help conferences because we've seen these pretty brutally unbalanced schedules between Mountain West and Missouri Valley the last few years. Mm-hmm. And when last season's Missouri Valley Mountain West Conference schedule was released... Uh, I wrote some piece about San Diego State, and I think they ended up playing Loyola, who was not expected to be very good last year, even though they ended up with maybe like 18 wins or so. But I think they were only supposed to be picked maybe fifth or sixth in the conference, and they ended up playing San Diego State, which is supposed to be picked first in the conference. And so there's just so much... It's just it's not balanced, and I think Mount West, Missouri Valley Challenge is fairly bad at that. The other challenges are generally good but well, if you, yeah make go ske- ahead. december schedule when they release next year's schedule in december how does that work exactly yeah and it's so much so much can change over time i don't don't think the uh, acc big 10 they release their schedule maybe may or june before that year's games are played so uh, there's so many issues with mountain west missouri valley challenge even though it could be a generally good event but you can't have your number one team playing the other conferences number eight team it, and if that team loses number one team loses that could significantly hurt the conference's rpi and that in itself is bad for both conferences yeah and unlv got the bump playing a good team the past couple years just because hey they're unlv and fresno state's not playing anyone this year from Ugh. missouri Valley. so Jeez. yeah it's it's a big process and a lot to decipher but hopefully something gets sorted out in the next few years all right so let's get to their schedule really quick like you said the Rams schedule is uh, one of the better ones they start off with a Winthrop, who's usually pretty good. They made the NCAA tournament what couple, enough to know their name and upset here and there, I believe, a couple. So they got them to open the season off really quick at home. Tulane, like they, they don't have a stinker on the schedule too much. Like Tulane, whatever you want to say about Tulane, that's part of the Jamaica Classic, I believe. Yeah, that is. 
Out in Jamaica, they play Florida State, ACC team, Mexico State. Aggies probably could win the WAC. Like, the only teams that are pretty bad are, like, what, Northwestern State and, what, Fort Smith, really? Yeah, those are the only bad ones. Long Beach is usually decent. I, I don't think Texas State's that great. Yeah, but that's um, what, three teams that aren't, like, so Arkansas, Fort Smith. Are we sure they're not D1 school, right? Is that the only one on the schedule? Yep, that's the only one. That's so sta- at least nine of the games are legitimate opponents, so that's I'll, I'll take that for sure. Yeah, I guess the only – and they get Colorado at home. I guess the only really downside for your Rams fan, your home schedule, at least non-conference, isn't great. You get Winthrop at home, which that could be a high-scoring game, so that's something that could be two contrasting styles. I'm assuming – Winthrop still runs, right? Is that their still thing? I think so. I'm pretty sure their top point guard graduated this year, but that might change things. We'll see. They're typically known. They are – 47th in adjusted tempo, so they're move a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that that's a pretty good schedule. Then they like they go to Jamaica. Okay, unless you have money, cool. Go spend Thanksgiving in Jamaica or a week before Thanksgiving. <laughs> New Mexico State, that's a road game. Okay, whatever. In Missouri Challenge, <laughs> oh, boy. But yeah, they get Colorado at home. That's that's a marquee one. They get they go to Oregon. They go to Arkansas. They get Long Beach. So there's some decent schedules. And like I think we this is take two again. Their first slate of conference opponents is not too bad either. You got Boise, um, San Diego State, and Fresno, and the three, and then Utah State. Three of the first five games are pretty good. But I, I it, like their schedule. Yeah, it's, schedule. it's a good schedule. And I don't think that. I, I mean, a lot of people will say 13 games against top 25 teams is the ideal schedule. Well, it really isn't because How you if get your that team isn't great. Yeah, it, obviously, it's. First of all, it's unattainable. Second of all, if your team is going 0-13 heading into non-conference play, is that really going to help out your team mentally and really boost any momentum in non-conference play? No. So you so you need to pick up some wins in non-conference, which I think this team will definitely have some gimmies against Sacramento State, Northwestern State, uh, Colorado. They should be able to win that one, Texas State. So they have a good mix of games they should win and then games that will definitely test their competitiveness. So it's a good schedule. So Sac State, a conference, or not an exhibition game, it's an actual regular season game? Yeah, that's their season opener. Oh, so Colorado Mace says that. No, okay. It's just because it's, okay. They do, they don't specify in the schedule. Cause if, okay, that's on the Mountain And it's, it's probably, since we're still on the subject of scheduling, uh, they also have a charitable exhibition on November 5th. That's against Northern Colorado. You can probably find information on that game on the Colorado State's men's basketball site nope, those you cannot yet nope you can't <laughs> I'm okay on their site now. i did not see him really all right right. well the proceeds go to puerto rico hurricane relief so that's a good cause if you're in the area definitely go to that northern colorado's got a decent program and they also play weaver state on october 28th that's a secret scrimmage so you won't be allowed to get into that but uh, it's another opportunity for colorado state to gain a little experience against some quality teams so what do you think they're we know what the media picked they picked them near the bottom or i guess middle of the pack where are you going to pick the Rams at? I have them as my number seven team. That's a little bit low for some other people, and uh, that's that's where I have them slotted right now. I think that they have a legitimate amount of production they need to pick up with the losses of Gene Clavel and Emmanuel Mogbo. Their X factor is definitely Prentice Nixon for me. I think if he's more efficient this season and can take over the reins as the number one offensive guy, then Colorado State could probably finish in the top half of the conference. I thinking I put them at six because I think that's a reasonable expectation. Could be a bit different after seeing like what Utah State did in their one scrimmage. If they have another guy, be, guy or guys behind McElwain, or yeah, it's McElwain, right? Kobe, is that how you say it? Yeah, uh, yeah, McEwen or McElwain. McEwen. I'm thinking of Jim McElwain of Florida. He used to be at the Rams oh, football yeah. coach. 
But yeah, Kobe there. If they have guys behind him to do something, but I think six is possible it, because, like you said, four through even three through seven, four through six, four through seven. There's a lot of teams like maybe UNLV are surprised. Maybe uh, Wyoming has a talent. Fresno, who knows? But I think six places where they're going to end up finishing, and that probably puts them on the fringe of an NIT bid. Yeah, I would think so. I, that's probably their. Well, within the organization, they're probably thinking NCAA tournament, but I think the general consensus probably slates them as a fringe NIT team, I would say. Yeah, because, like, you know, unless their schedule, unless they can, um, like, who would you say is their best non-conference game? Is it Oregon? Is that the best team they're facing? Yeah, Oregon, Missouri State's the Missouri Valley um, leader this season. They have a fantastic uh, wing there. And Florida State's a good program too. So I would, but I would probably say at Oregon's their toughest game. So if they're gonna get want to go to NCAA bid, they probably I'm guessing go two and two against like Florida State, uh, Missouri State, Colorado. Well, there's six games I'm looking at really quick: Oregon, Arkansas, Colorado, Missouri State. It's at four. New Mexico State and Florida State. That's six. If they can go. I think they can go three and three, maybe four and two. Yeah, if they if they can go four and two in those games and they finish in the top three of the conference, then you could be looking at a potential fringe at large team or at least a bubble team. I'd probably say three and three because Florida, like, I don't think they can get past Florida State. They could probably beat New Mexico, but they're at New Mexico State. That's at Las Cruces. Las Cruces. They're probably going to be there with Green Canyon for the whack. They're all road games. That's the problem. I think they could beat Colorado at home and probably beat Arkansas on the road, but I think three and three is probably the high mark for those six games. Yeah, those are the key six, and I mean, every time I look at the schedule, it looks better and better, because those are six quality games that can help them moving forward, but that Missouri State game will be fun, Oregon will be a fun one for sure, and down in Jamaica, those will be good games too. All right, anything else we need to add about the Rams here? Uh, I guess the only other thing is, uh, this team could have been a little bit more stacked heading into the year, except for Alonzo Tyson, who's their top one of their top Juco guys coming in this season. He broke his foot over the summer, I think, in Bahamas, so he'll miss the season. He'll be back next year to help out the 2018-19 team with him. They'd probably be a top five, top six team without him, uh, probably in that 6-7 range. So that's that's a loss for them, but I think this team's going to be competitive at the very least this year, and you'll probably expect to see them finish anywhere between the five and seven range. All right, we'll see if they turn out here. we got hoops coverage. Uh, check us out. We're a you want to subscribe thank you for finding us first of all obviously and check us out uh mwwire.com um we are part of a don't don't let college football news uh deter you from reading basketball stuff because <laughs> that's right <laughs> there is basketball stuff there and we'll have a an announcement shortly on uh, a little tweak here and there so that may not be an issue but itunes stitcher wherever you get your podcast um give us a review five stars we don't care if you like it or not just tell us five stars we're cool with that you can tell us we suck but we prefer not to, but thank you for listening to this show. And we'll always end it. Yes, we're biased to get your team. And next shows are um we got New Mexico, Nevada, Fresno, everybody else coming up, so stay tuned.